0: Good morning once again. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. We've been working our way through the life of Joseph, taking biblical principles from an Old Testament saint and seeing the application for us today. The title of my message this morning, His Sin Shall Not Have Dominion Over You. And as I mentioned last week, This is not because I just decided I wanted to preach on sin this week or because I want to pick on anyone, just simply because it is part of the story and it is good for us to be challenged in this area. Officially, I guess it would be sin shall not have dominion over you part two because I had intended on working through my three points last week and was unable to, so we just kind of rolled the last two points together and uh, shortened them this morning. We're going to look briefly at the first point and then spend a little bit more time at the second two points. Sin shall not have dominion over you. The title is taken from Romans chapter 6, verse 14, where it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We see that Old Testament or that New Testament principle, actually a truth that is proclaimed. We see that lived out in Old Testament, even under law, that sin was still not to have dominion over those who claimed God as their Lord. So we're taking this morning an Old Testament principle from the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, and we are applying it to us today, which works really well because it ties in so strongly with Romans chapter 6, verse 14. We are more able than Joseph was because of the abiding presence of Christ within us. If you are his child, if you have come to know him by grace through faith, you are more able than Joseph to live in victory over sin. Because you are under grace and not under law. We have the saving power. The saving power of God's grace and the keeping power of God's grace, the preserving power of God's grace in us if Jesus Christ lives within you. If you are a child of God, Christ dwells and abides within you. We have been set free from the power of sin, Romans chapter 6, verse 18, and have become slaves of righteousness. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Genesis chapter 39, we're going to read this morning from verse 7 to verse 23. Before we do, let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would apply our hearts to wisdom and grant us that wisdom by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have, you have said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them come and, and ask, and you pour out liberally, generously. So we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, grant us wisdom according to your word this morning that we would understand it and have the will as well to apply it. Lord, where conviction is necessary, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is still at work convicting of truth and of righteousness and of sin. Convict us. Encourage us and strengthen us. May our hearts be pliable in your hands as we look into your word this morning. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 39. We're actually going to start at the end of verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Remember, going back two weeks ago, Joseph has been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, it says an officer of Pharaoh in verse 1, captain of the guard, has bought him as a slave. And he's become successful in the house of Potiphar as a slave. So he's been there for a little bit of time now. We're not sure of exactly how long. He would have been about 17 and a half, 18 and a half, somewhere in that range because he was 17 years old when his brothers sold him into slavery. So verse 6, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things, that's after he had succeeded in the house of his master, that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. May God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. Sin shall not have dominion over you. As we looked at last week, the first thing we see in this is that temptation is unavoidable. For Joseph, temptation was unavoidable. It doesn't matter where you go. You're not always going to have the opportunity to escape it completely. There still will be something about temptation, not necessarily sin. I'm not saying sin is unavoidable, but temptation is. Mostly it's unavoidable because where does sin come from? Evil desires that war in your members, according to James. Desires from within cause us to be tempted. We want to fulfill that desire, often in an ungodly manner. So temptation is unavoidable. It stalks us as it did with Joseph. It pursued him. It is persistent. We see initially here, Potiphar's wife finds him attractive and says, come and lie with me. And it says right away he refuses. And then he gives an explanation for why he refuses. But after that it says that she day by day sought him out and asked him and pursued him. Temptation was persistent. And then at the end we see, and this is just a recap of last week, that temptation at times can be forceful. He has resisted temptation. He has tried to stay away from it and from her. And at the very end of of their relationship here, we see the force of temptation, where she grabs him by his outer garment and says, Come and lie with me. What does he do? He runs. He flees, even to the point of pulling off that outer robe and getting out of the house. But in looking at temptation, we see it is unavoidable because it stalks us, it is persistent, it can be persistent, it can be very forceful. Whether that temptation is sexual, as was the case with Joseph, and that is still one of the most prevalent temptations and one of the most prevalent areas of failure for even believers today, or whether it is a temptation to sin in the area of pride, or gossip, or anger, or jealousy, or envy, or bitterness, or unforgiveness, or, 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 if you keep going... In one area, you may say, all right, I finally got to the point where that temptation no longer has an allure to me. It no longer pulls on me. And, and even right when you're finding that, you realize, oh, well, there's a temptation to have pride because that temptation is no longer affecting me. It stalks us. It can be persistent. It can be forceful. In whatever area it is, temptation is unavoidable. But we all know that. You know that personally, Right? In a sense, you didn't really need last week's service because you already are aware of the fact that you deal with temptation on a regular basis. We are inundated with it. It surrounds us. It doesn't matter what you see, what you hear, what you're doing. There is opportunity to be tempted and opportunity, as a result, to sin. But the beautiful thing is that we see both in this passage and in the New Testament, and I pray in your own life, is that victory is attainable. Yes, temptation is, It's unavoidable, it stalks us, it's persistent, it's forceful, but victory is attainable. I want to focus a little bit more on that side today. Victory is attainable. Romans chapter 6 verse 10 says, Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is possible to live in victory. It is attainable, regardless of how Strong the temptation you may be walking through or struggling with or resisting against, it is possible to be victorious. And we are called and equipped and enabled to live in victory. Victory is attainable, not because of our own strength, but because we have been made alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified. This is Paul speaking. And I pray that you can say this as well. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live how? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live, is not just that I was saved by grace through faith, but the life that I now live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ. Christ, trusting in Him, confident in Him, resting in Him, victorious in Him. Victory is possible. It is attainable, not just because I force myself not to sin, but because Christ lives in me. I pray He lives in you as well. My life is in Him. He is victorious over sin and death. And so I, in Him, will be, should be, and will be prayerfully victorious as well we have more reason to be victorious than joseph had because we have christ the child of christ today or the child of god today has christ's abiding presence within them but we see here not only is there a reason why we should be victorious but we see some practical helps from joseph to enable us to live in victory over sin the first thing that i want you to see is that joseph had a predetermined response and we should as well you know what your primary temptation is what your besetting sin is then you also have had time to figure out what a proper response to that is and to have a predetermined response, to have your mind made up in that area. It says in verse 8 that when she first said, lie with me, he refused. There was no humming and hawing. There was no consideration. There was no hesitation on his part even. It was an automatic, instantaneous. He knew what the temptation was. He knew what the sin was, and he refused. He had decided what was right, and he decided what was wrong, and he was determined to do what was right. He had drawn a line, and it wasn't just a line in the sand that could be crossed out. It was a line in his life that he would not cross. There was no hesitation, no justifying. That's one of the first things we tend to do with sin. Temptation comes along, and all of a sudden, our mind kicks into gear, overdrive, justifying that. Well, it's not that big a deal. Everyone else is doing it. I can get away with this. It's not going to have an effect on anybody but me. Nobody will know about me, so what difference does it make, right? It's amazing how quick we are at finding excuses to justify whatever that sin is now in, in Joseph we're looking at something we would say well this is major this is massive he's committing adultery or he was tempted to commit adultery that was what was provided but what, what about the small things well they're small things gossip or anger there's a real one that uh, no we just it's, it's not an issue it's not an issue it's not an issue well, I don't have an issue with anger do I I'm just frustrated I'm, it's godly indignation well no it's probably just anger it might be godly indignation but more often than not it's anger so identify it as it is. Stop justifying it. Um, determine in our mind. Have a predetermined response when that temptation comes. Have a well-reasoned response to that temptation as well. Uh, Joseph had had a time to think this through and he gives a very well-reasoned response. If you look in verse 8, he explains, no, you know what? I've been given freedom over everything in this house. I've been entrusted with everything except you. You're the only thing that my master Potiphar has kept from me. And so I won't. I won't do that. He goes on and this well-reasoned response and he says that this is sin this is a great this would be a great wickedness that helps us as well that whatever that little petty sin that we think we struggle with is or that we think is petty that we recognize it as being a great wickedness that every sin is a great wickedness it is an offense against god and that's what he clearly says here how could i commit this great wickedness and sin against god his primary concern was not initially at least Sinning against Potiphar, or sinning against Potiphar's wife, a sin against God. That is a right reasoned response, that sin is evil, that it is wickedness, and it is primarily an offense against God. How can I sin against God? Why would I want to sin against God? Why would I bring God's provision for my life into question by pursuing a desire outside of the parameters of what God has laid out? Because that's, in a sense, what it does. When we sin, we say that we think there's a better way to satisfy my needs than God has laid out. There's a better way to satisfy my desires than God has given me. And actually sin questions, in some ways practically speaking in our lives, the sovereignty of God. I know best. I will satisfy it my way because that is the way that it should be. At the core, it's it's idolatry. It's saying I am God and he is not at the core of almost every sin. Why would we sin against God? How can I sin against God? We need to have a rightly reasoned or a well-reasoned response to temptation. We also need to have an aggressive response to temptation. We see that with Joseph. When it comes to the point where the temptation is forceful, his response is equally aggressive. The temptation forces itself upon him and he responds aggressively and we need to do the same he refused it says in verse 8 and then down a little bit further in verse 10 it says so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her this is the persistent side he's persisting in resisting temptation and then in verse 11 it happened there's nobody there she caught him in verse 12 by his garment saying lie with me but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside an aggressive response to temptation. He's resisted, he's resisted, he's persistent in his resistance, and finally, he gets to the point where it's forceful and he responds aggressively by fleeing. It's interesting actually in verse 10, in that resistance it says he did not heed her, not to lie with her or to be with her. That's the beginning of the real aggressive stance he's taken against this. This is a smart man, Joseph. Not only am I going to resist the temptation when it's here, but I am going to do everything I can so that I am not around her, so that I am not around the temptation, so that it doesn't have an opportunity to chew away at me. Joseph did not play with temptation. So often we do. He didn't toy around with sin, and so often we do, don't we? He recoiled from it, and that needs to be our response We hate sin so much because we see that it is so great an offense against God that our desire is to have nothing to do with it. And so when the temptation uh, presents itself, we, we recoil from it. It is repulsive. That's the kind of aggressive response that we need. Not to want anything to do with it. And then, if it is real forceful, to get out of it. Verse 12, she traps him, almost forces herself on him. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Strapping young man, head of the household, and he runs. It's a wise man. He flees. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. In other words, you're not the first, you're not the only. Everyone has struggled. Everyone struggles with temptation. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape. Quite often we leave the verse there. They've made a way of escape. I jumped out of it. But it goes on and says, that you may be able to bear it. That is, bear or resist the temptation. God will never allow you to face a temptation that you can't have victory over. That's what that verse says. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God will not allow you to face a temptation you cannot be victorious in. So what, what does that say then for all of these times I've faced a temptation and I haven't been victorious in it? It means you want the sin more than you want the victory. Because God will not put you in a situation where there's a temptation so great you can't be victorious. So every time you have failed, every time I have failed, remember I've got one point, one point, in that, yeah, I've got three points back at me. Every time I have failed, it says that I desired the sin more than I desired victory because God would not have put me in a situation I couldn't be victorious in. So it comes down, essentially, in each victory or each failure, a choice. Will I walk in victory or will I pursue sin? If you fail or when you fail, it's not God's fault. It's, because you wanted the sin more than you wanted the victory because God has determined you can be victorious. And he has provided an escape, a way out, not out necessarily, probably through, but he has provided a way that you may be able to bear it. He's provided a way that you can resist. Now, whether that's out from under it or it is through it, the reality is, and the fact is, God has enabled you. He has given you all that you need to be victorious over it, so resist. You can be victorious. No matter how daunting it may seem, you can be victorious. And you guys know this, because there's come a point in your life, and maybe it happened 10 minutes ago, I don't know. Maybe it happened yesterday. Maybe it happened this last week, where where there's been a temptation that came across your path. And you knew that it was a temptation, you recognized that it was a temptation, and you had one of two things that you could do. Stifle the voice of God, convicting you about this temptation and telling you to flee from it. Or actually respond to God and resist it. Or flee from it if necessary, so that you could be victorious over it. I'm assuming I'm not the only person in the world who's ever faced a temptation and I'm like, okay, that temptation is coming but I'm going to ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. I'm going to pretend it's not there so that I can, without being too convicted, allow myself to walk in that direction. And all the times, the temptation arises and you respond favorably, rightly, rightly, Pleasing to God. And you say, that is a temptation. I want what God is going to provide more than I want to satisfy that, and so I will pursue Him. At least six times in the New Testament, in five different kinds of sins, we are told to flee from temptation. Sexual is one. Idolatry is another. Greed or the love of money is one we're told to flee from. Youthful lusts or passions, each of these we are instructed to flee. The problem is, for me anyways, that I like my sin, and I tend to run toward it rather than away from it. And so fail. I would encourage you this morning, victory is possible. And for myself, victory is possible. Resist it, resist it, resist it, and flee from it if necessary. And do so as aggressively as necessary. Maybe even go beyond that. Maybe we should stop saying, I'm going to resist it as aggressively as I'm I'm just going to meet the bar. Maybe we should start responding to temptation over aggressively. I have nothing to do with it. I'm going to get out of it. Whatever it takes, I'm going to get away from it. Temptation is forceful, so be aggressive in our response to it. Resist it and flee it and do it super aggressively. That wouldn't be so bad. My view of the holiness of God is reflected on how aggressively I resist temptation. If I have a small view of the severity of sin, it means I have a small view of the holiness of God. We need to begin to have a bigger view, a broader view, a more complete view of the holiness of God and so be repulsed by sin rather than play with it. Victory is attainable, as we see with Joseph. Practical ways to attain it. Predetermine your response. Have a well-reasoned, well-thought-out, a biblically grounded response. And respond aggressively. Resist aggressively. Flee aggressively. Respond aggressively. The third thing that I want you to see this morning, it was my third point from the sermon last week, consequences are inevitable. It's a strange thing to say after speaking of victory. You can be victorious, but I also want you to know the consequences. Both a failure and a victory are inevitable. There are consequences. There's a consequence to every action, victory or failure. Newton's third law of motion, if we take it and we apply it, philosophical. His law is that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So if you fire a rifle, that's where you get the kickback on your shoulder. Is an equal and opposite reaction. It's a little bit played down because you're looking at mass and force. But the same principle applies in every action. Not necessarily equal, but for every action there is a consequence. Good or bad, there is a consequence. Everything we do, there's a consequence to it. Generally, if you do right there will be a bad consequence in the world and a good consequence in the eyes of God. If you do wrong, it is generally more accepted in the eyes of the world and definitely not accepted in the eyes of God. But either way, there is a consequence. Joseph acts, and he acts right. He acts proper. He resists, 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 and finally he flees, and he is victorious. Praise God. And what happens? Consequence to your action, even right action, he gets thrown into prison, Potiphar's wife fabricates a lie and accuses Joseph of attempted rape. That is the consequence here for Joseph for doing right. Not fair, doesn't seem justified, it's not good, it's a consequence to action. Potiphar gets angry and has Joseph thrown into prison. It's interesting that Potiphar did not have Joseph killed because that would have been the natural consequence for attempted rape by a slave to Potiphar's wife, but doesn't have him killed, has him thrown into prison. It's interesting as well that, as you see in the next chapter here, it, it appears that actually it's a prison within Potiphar's own household, because Potiphar is the captain of the guard, and in chapter 40, the cha- captain of the guard is the ones who are supervising the prisoners, and Joseph rises back up in esteem under the captain of the guard the supervisor of the prison. Either way, however you look at it, whether it actually is Potiphar or isn't, it's debated a little bit, but he, he, you see God's blessing upon him. But he wasn't killed. That raises questions as to how much Potiphar actually believed his wife versus how much Potiphar trusted Joseph's word. Regardless, there's consequences. There's consequences to your actions, right or wrong. There's always consequences. Are we willing to accept the consequences for our actions? Consequence from the world may be Maybe may be good, maybe may be bad. Sometimes it is dependent on whether we do right or do wrong. If you do right and you receive detrimental results in this world, are you ready to receive them? Are you willing to receive them? How do you respond? Evil seems to operate this way. When it can't destroy you through temptation, it will seek another way to destroy you. Joseph is victorious over sin. And you would think, great, he's undefeated, and Satan comes along, or evil comes along in that sense, and all right, you you won that one, I'm going to find another way. God has a plan through it all, and God has an intent through it all, God has a purpose through it all. There's a reason why Joseph goes to jail, we all know that because we know the end of the story. He wouldn't have known that, I can't see how he would have figured this was a positive thing. I would think that there would be some serious offense. If I do right and I am punished unjustly and sent to prison for it, I would have an issue with it. Are we willing to accept the consequence regardless of whether we deem it as good or bad? We also see a second consequence to Joseph doing right here. In verse 21 it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord showed him mercy. Mercy. God showed him mercy, consequence of doing right, blessing by God. So two consequences for the same action. Consequence by the people, condemned. Consequence in the eyes of God, blessed. Maybe it could have been the other way. If he had a sinned, I'm not saying it definitely would be, but if he had a sin, would he not have been accepted by man and condemned by God? It's consequence to your actions, right action or wrong action. So if the consequence of doing right is condemned by people and blessed by God, would you rather have that than accepted by people and condemned by God? In a sense, you can choose your consequence based on choosing the action. Do what is right, and it will be pleasing to God. That is the consequence of doing what is right in the eyes of God that doesn't change do what is right it will be pleasing to God whether it's pleasing to man or not doesn't really matter because so I'd rather be pleasing in the eyes of God than pleasing in the eyes of people around me which would you choose today in the temptation that you face which do you choose now maybe it's not a temptation that you say well that doesn't affect other people maybe it is so if you have a temptation and, and ultimately it's if I do it this way it's going to be pleasing to people And if I do it this way, it's going to be pleasing to God. Which is more important to you? Either way, right actions or wrong actions, they will have consequence. Either please God or please man. Please God or maybe this is more where it is. This will please me. And this will please God. Which will I choose? Please myself or God? Choose to do right. Please God. What would have happened if Joseph had caved to temptation? If he had given in, he would have had pleasure for a moment, for a season, absolutely. And maybe he would have gotten away with it. Maybe there would have been no prison. Wouldn't have been sentenced to prison. Never have met Pharaoh's butler and baker. Never have had to interpret their dreams. Never been called before Pharaoh to interpret his, not have been used by God in the interpretation of dreams, not have been assigned as second in command of Egypt, not have saved his family and thousands, possibly millions others, from famine. We do not know the effect, long term, of obedience or of disobedience. But you will never go wrong with obedience. We don't know the effect. If he had, a, we all would say, you know what, Joseph, in this situation, maybe he would have been justified to sin. Maybe we would have fell. We don't know what God was going to accomplish. He wouldn't have known what God was going to accomplish. And we have no idea how the story would have turned out otherwise if he had a fallen into temptation and sinned. But we know that God brought him even into that situation of temptation. And then God blessed him abundantly for his obedience. And God took and used the prison and the people who was in prison with and Pharaoh. and all of these situations, God took and used for the salvation of his people, the calling, the separating, and the saving of his people. We don't know the consequences, but we are assured the consequences of, obe- of obedience is much better than the consequence of disobedience. Wouldn't you rather be in prison and pleasing to God. Then be free in your sin and pleasing to man. Sin shall not have dominion over you. That's a command, but it's also by the power of Christ within you, a promise. Sin shall not control you. Sin shall not dominate you. Sin shall not reign over you. But you shall be victorious in Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. But... I write to you, he says, so that you may not sin. Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Resist it. Be victorious. It is possible in Jesus Christ. Temptation is unavoidable. It stalks us, it is persistent, and it can be forceful. But victory is attainable. We have a predetermined response, a well-reasoned, true response, an aggressive response. So walk in victory. Do what is right. And when you do, there will be consequences to that. Joyfully accept whatever the world throws at you, as you rest in the peace of God, in the blessing of God, in Jesus Christ, who rewards obedience, both here and eternally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your one and only Son, your only begotten Son into the world, to die in our place. And that, Christ, you came and laid down your life. You humbled yourself, took upon yourself the form of a man, and in humble obedience went to the cross, that you allowed your life's blood to be poured out for for us. We thank you that you have called us. You have extended your grace to us. You have brought us in, by grace through faith, into right relationship with God. We thank you for that. We thank you that salvation is not just something that took place past tense. Yes, it has happened, but it continues to happen that you save us and you are continuing to redeem us and to buy us back and to purify us and to keep us and to save us. Lord, enable us to will and to walk in victory. Forgive us for those so many times where we have taken sin lightly. Forgive me for where I have toyed with sin. May I have a conscience that is sensitive to you. And God, if we're dealing with a seared conscience where we've toyed so long in sin that we no longer sense your calling, your convicting, God, I pray that you would pierce through that, that we would be broken before you, We would see sin as as desperately wicked. We would see the degree of the offense that it is against the holy and just and righteous God. We would fall on our face before you and once again be cleansed. We thank you that you have promised you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then Lord, pick us up and by your grace and strength enable us to walk pleasing to you so that the next time that temptation comes our way we may say, it is my delight to do the will of God. It is my intent, my purpose, my, my longing to please God. Strengthen us and enable us to resist temptation and where we do not feel we are able to resist it, to flee it. May the victory that is brought in our lives be to the glory and honor and praise of, of Jesus Christ. Help us as well to be willing to bear whatever the consequences of our action is, right action. That even if we are rejected by the world, we would rejoice to have been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are gracious in both your correcting and in your keeping and that you have promised to reward both in this life, even if it's just in that sense of peace and joy in you, but also eternally that you do bless obedience. So we ask that you would cause us to walk in obedience to you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.